You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this week's episode of the Sixer Sense podcast, we discuss trade rumors of Victor Oladipo and Blake Griffin possibly coming to the Sixers, whether or not Buddy Heald is still on Philly's radar after hiring Dave Joger, what Doc Rivers' first move should be in the locker room, and who are the best three-point shooters in Sixer franchise history. Welcome to the Sixer Sense podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. What's up, everybody? We are back. This is the Sixer Sense podcast. I'm your host, Uriah Young, with my co-host, Christopher Klein. We're talking Sixers, all Sixers, and nothing but the Sixers. Chris, what's going on, man? What have you been up to lately? Not much, not much. Just a lot of movie watching, a lot of Sixers stuff. How about you? Well... Before you get to your movies, because for anyone listening out there does not know Chris or does not follow Chris on Twitter, he is the biggest movie buff I think I've ever met. Um, but for me, uh, my wife and I, we were just watching uh, Chopped, and we just love watching Food Network, just the creativity and the competition of it. And uh, it's just always interesting. And now because it's Halloween, they have all these theme type of competitions, and I was thinking maybe in the future, what if we did a, a podcast about which Sixers would most likely cook certain dishes in the kitchen or who would be on Chopped? I don't know. It sounds kind of funky, weird, but. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I love Chopped. Um, I was a big Iron Chef fan in back in like high school. So I love the Food Network. That's always fun. Are you a Bobby um, Flay guy? You like Bobby Flay? Uh, yeah. I love Bobby Flay. Uh, my guy, though, I, I, I honestly don't know his name off the top of my head, but the Japanese chef who made all kinds of sushi. Uh, I know who you're talking about. I can't put my finger on his name, though. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll talk. We'll bring it up later, maybe. But, yeah, uh, yeah Iron Chef is great. Chopped is great. Uh, like you said, I've been watching a ton of movies lately. That's pretty much half of what I do at this point in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> So give me a movie. Give me a title. Yeah. Give me a title, man. I watched Chinatown, finally, uh, with Jack Nicholson. That was great. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I love a good noir movie. 
you know, I watched The Queen's Gambit, the new uh, limited series on Netflix. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta check that one out. And I'm, a, I'm a, it's a violation for me. I, I claim to be a semi movie buff. I have not seen Chinatown, although I'm a big fan of Jack Nicholson. But yeah, it would be interesting to see those two shows you just mentioned, which Sixer would fit best in the lead roles. But we'll, we'll get to that one time. And I got a, I got a Bobby Flay story for you later, man. We'll get to it. We'll get to it later. Nice. Cool. Well, I guess we're gonna talk some Sixers now. Obviously, we're going into the offseason. A lot of rumors, a lot of speculation about what Philadelphia might do. We're going to hit on a couple big trade possibilities here. And the first one we're going to talk about is Victor Oladipo. Obviously, a pretty complex situation for him. He's going into the final year of his contract with Indiana. There have been rumors of plenty about him maybe wanting to leave. He hasn't really denied those rumors. He came out and said he was a pacer and that he doesn't know where the rumors came from, but that's not the same as denying those rumors. Uh, So it seems very possible that Indiana could just decide to trade him. Uh, I mean, he's coming off an injury, as I said. Taurus Quad spent most of last year rehabbing, and he clearly wants to win. He's made that very clear with his public comments that he's ready to try to win a championship, but he wants to show his kids some hardware. And frankly, Indiana's probably not the, the best place for that at this point. Do you think he can maybe fit on the Sixers, Uriah? Do you think that's a possibility? I think Oladipo, he, it's funny, when he came out of Indiana, I remember him coming into the league, just this phenomenal athlete, completely skilled player. Started in Orlando, went to OKC, played alongside Westbrook. That didn't work out, and now he's in Indiana. We've seen what he can do. He is a baller. He can straight up play. Now, the question is, does he fit on the Sixers? Of course he fits on the Sixers. He's a guard. He can score from pretty much anywhere on the floor. If you put him in a system with Glenn Rivers, you could put him in some pick-and-roll situations. You put him in some pick-and-roll situations with Embiid or maybe Horford. I I think he could work. It would take some time, obviously, but a player like Oladipo, you can fit him in, I think, in any system. The question is, would Embiid and Simmons, if they were to still stay with the team and not have to part with bringing in Oladipo, would they be okay with him being a first or second option scorer? I think that's the question. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think for sure. I, I don't think Oladipo is going to command someone like Bernard Joe on the market at this point just because of his recent injuries. I don't think there's that much confidence in him. It seems just from what I've read that he's probably not going to maybe get the, you know, a trade package might not be what we would expect for someone with his, you know, notoriety, with his name brand. I, I think for the Sixers, it would probably be a package centered around Josh Richardson and, you know, Mike Scott or in Zaire or Matisse, something along those lines. And at that point, you're kind of just switching expiring contracts at shooting guard, which, you know, it could be worse. Obviously, Oladipo comes with more injury concerns than Josh, but he's also a much better player at his ceiling. And you mentioned Joe and Ben. I think Ben is perfectly fine being the number three scorer or the number four scorer with Tobias on the team. I don't think that's a problem for Ben at all. I don't think that's his game. I think he's perfectly comfortable, you know, acting as primarily a distributor. And like you said, any guard who can dribble and shoot you know, has a place <laughs> in Philadelphia. And it really is that simple at this point. Oladipo isn't an elite shooter per se, but he's more than capable of spacing the floor, playing off ball, 
But like you said, running pick and roll, Stock Rivers' offenses have always been pretty pick and roll heavy. And Oladipo is someone who can do that. Josh Richardson, you know, not so much. So does Oladipo make all the sense in the world? Maybe not. You probably can't re-sign him next summer unless you get rid of Horford's contract and make some other moves. But if it comes down to just swapping Richardson and a couple minor picks to get a year of Oladipo and to try it out and to go for it, you know, that might be worth it because the Sixers do have a lot of talent. The East is still fairly open. You know, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami are all very good teams and are all probably better than Philadelphia. But, you know, at some point you just have to go for it. And I, I do think Oladipo would make some sense. I'm I'm such a Nuggadelphian right now, Chris. I'm thinking, all right, Oladipo comes here. We, we swap for Josh Richardson. Richardson goes on to Indiana, becomes an all-star, and Oladipo gets hurt the third game of the season. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I just... I like Oladipo's game, and I like Richardson, but maybe that swap would be good for both teams if Oladipo's not happy. But, yeah, I think you make a good point where um, with Indy, they're not in the position to really tear down the team. They're not trying to rebuild, so they would expect a solid player in return. And you also made a good point about Ben not worrying about being a third option because he's a he's a pass-happy point forward. Um, maybe – I don't know. Could Tobias be traded for him? Would that you think Indy would do that for Oladipo? I, I I mean I don't I don't think so. I don't think the Pacers would really want to take on a bunch of money. I, I mean I think worst case scenario they'd probably just rather have Oladipo walk and have the cap space versus taking on someone like Harris. Plus with Sabonis and Turner on the roster already at the four and five, as long as that's in place and that's what they're going with, it doesn't really make sense to have someone like Tobias playing the three uh, next to Sabonis. Neither of them would really fit defensively. But yeah, I mean, Richardson, I think, is better than a lot of people in Philadelphia give him credit for. I think yeah, he, I would, he I would agree. contribute to a playoff team. He's done it with Miami, where he was basically <laughs> the number one option. So you know, injuries and a poor fit kind of dragged him down last year, but you put him in a new situation, he's probably going to do just fine. He's not Oladipo, but Oladipo wasn't on the floor for most of last year, and Indiana still, you know, was the five seed. So Richardson's an upgrade over that, and he's a great defender in the same vein, I would say, as Oladipo. And, you know, if you're Philly, you're kind of taking a chance because you probably can't re-sign Josh either. So... Maybe he does get hurt. Maybe it's a bust, but the upside is there, you know, to to where it, it makes some sense and it's worth consideration. So who who else is rumored out there, Chris? Yeah, I don't know if these are rumors so much as just like hypotheticals. But one that I wrote about recently on the site was Blake Griffin. Uh, we've talked about this briefly on the podcast in the past when we were talking about Doc and bringing in former former Clippers who played under Doc. What would your thoughts be on a hypothetical Blake Griffin trade? Lob City 2020. Bring him in. Why not? No, I'm just joking. I, I think he's a horrible fit. He, he's terrible. Yeah. He's he's old. He's got bad knees. Um, he can still dunk though. He can he can definitely get up. However, you said earlier about Tobias being four and that he has all this money attached to him. I think to bring Blake Griffin in and also keep Tobias, that would be an issue. I think reuniting him with with Glenn Rivers would be an interesting situation. I don't know how they were 
out in LA. I wasn't that close to that team. However, Detroit is definitely in a rebuild mode. They dumped Andre Drummond last year to Cleveland. So the Sixers could drop a bunch of draft picks on Detroit and we inherited Blake Griffin. But the question is, what would he bring? What does he still have left in the tank? And to answer your question, just as the team is constructed now, I don't think he fits. What do you think? Yeah, I pretty much said as much in my article. I don't think it's the cleanest fit. I don't think he should be, you know, priority number one. I don't think the Sixers should, like, enter free agency or the trade market saying, hey, we want Blake Griffin. But if nothing else, nothing else pans out, if you're looking at going into next season with Al Horford on the roster, you know, maybe. Uh, I wouldn't be necessarily against it. Is Blake a better fit on this team than Al? We, we can discuss that, but I think Blake's a better player at this point. And again, like with Oladipo, it's upside. And Griffin has the benefit of being on a shorter contract. If he can get off Al's money for Blake, who's expiring, I believe, after this upcoming season, then that, that in and of itself is a positive. Even if you don't get much out of Blake next season, you're already not going to get much out of Horford. We know this. Uh, and no matter what Doc Rivers does, I really don't think we can expect much out of Horford next year. And with Blake, I, I really do like his skill set. Obviously, the injuries are huge. Whether or not he can stay on the floor is huge. But if he's out there, you know, he's a pretty versatile talent. He shoots a lot more than Al um, at a much higher volume than Al does. He can pass. He can face up. He can do a lot of stuff off the dribble. He's obviously a very powerful athlete. He, he doesn't have the hops that he once did in L.A. But in terms of just overpowering guys and getting to the rim and putting pressure on the basket, he, he's one of the best when he's healthy. Now, does that really fit? Does he get a chance to do that a ton with Joe and Ben on the roster? Probably not. It's definitely not a clean fit to try to start Joel, Blake, Ben and Tobias in this same starting five. That's probably a mess. But is it a more interesting mess than whatever the Sixers tried last year? Probably. Uh, it, you know, again, it's not something I would necessarily be elated by. It's not something the Sixers should be, you know, going all out for. But if it comes down to, like, Al and some second-round picks for Blake's expiring contract, you know, maybe you do it. You roll the dice, see what happens. Uh, I, I, I feel bad for – I just feel bad for Horford. We only had him one year. I like him. Seems like a nice guy, solid player. But to go from Atlanta, making the playoffs every year, to Boston, Eastern Conference Finals, Sixers, playoffs, and then they end up, he ends up in Detroit. Uh, his sister would be pretty miserable. She'd be tweeting up some, some craziness being up in Detroit. But – so we're going to move on, Chris. And for the past, I'd say over a month, Sixers land has been pretty much immersed in the rumor mill of Buddy Hield being disgruntled out in Sacramento. And I remember him in, in uh, Oklahoma, Chris, and I remember he got pretty much shut down against Villanova in the Final Four. But I just remember watching him thinking, wow, this kid is just – he can shoot the lights out. And that's exactly what the Sixers need right now. So let's talk about Buddy Hield possibly coming to the Sixers. However, you wrote an article recently about maybe those chances of Buddy Hield coming to the Sixers have kind of diminished a little bit. 
what do you think, Chris? Why why is Buddy Hill maybe not an option anymore for the Sixers? Yeah, so I mean, obviously Doc Rivers hired Dave Yeager as his presumably lead assistant, a defensive specialist, a former head coach with Memphis and Sacramento, by all means a respected and, and well-liked and capable coach. But it's pretty well known at this point that he and Buddy did not get along when they both were in Sacramento. Uh, they had a very public dispute on the sidelines when Sacramento played Golden State once, and pretty much every rumor and indication and report since then has you know, been about how those two don't really like each other. Now, does that change if Jaeger isn't the head coach? Maybe. Can they maybe reconcile and get over those differences? Who knows? It's possible that maybe enough time has, you know, lapsed. Maybe the Luke Walton experience has changed Buddy Hield's tune. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely don't think the Sixers, if their main goal this summer was, or this offseason, it's basically fall at this point. If their main goal was to trade for Buddy Hield, Hiring Dave Yeager straight off the bat would be a very strange move, a very strange decision. Now, maybe the Sixers are just being the Sixers and not thinking that far ahead. But assuming that's not the case, that probably indicates that Buddy isn't their favorite, you know, target. Well, I'll be honest. I'll be straight up and down with you like 6 o'clock, man. I don't really know much about Dave Yeager. And the drama of him and Buddy Hield, because, I mean, I'm not a big Sacramento fan. I've been to Sacramento, Chris. You've been to Sacramento? I have not. No, it's don't don't waste your <laughs> airfare, man. It's it's the Pittsburgh of the West Coast and is mm. really nothing out there. I mean, they got the state capital. And anyway, so I I get it. Buddy Hield's not happy, whether it was the coach, the team, management, if he came to the Sixers, he would definitely bring some quality shooting. He would space the floor for Ben and Joe. However, like you said, the if the chemistry was bad when he left, why why rekindle that that those bad vibes? Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know if he's an option anymore. To your your point, I read your article; it's a good article. Yeah, I mean, oh, and looking at it from the perspective of healed. Heald's personality. He didn't get along with Jaeger. He's now not getting along with Luke Walton. He's reportedly not returning Luke Walton's phone calls. That's two head coaches in a row now that Heald has not gotten along with. Walton benched him in the report that I wrote about it. It was mentioned that once upon a time, Jaeger wanted to bench Heald. He didn't go through with it because of obviously Heald's stature with the team. And Heald was just signed to a pretty large extension. But he got benched last year by Walton, and he probably deserved it. And he mm. makes a lot of sense as a sixth man, you know, a scorer off the bench who can light it up from deep, as you said. But is that a role he's willing to buy into? Maybe not. That He doesn't seem very happy in that role right now. And does the fact that he's kind of ruined two relationships with two coaches in a very short time span raise some red flags? You know, it does for me. I don't know if the Sixers want that. We, we always talked about Jimmy Butler being a locker room cancer for holding people accountable, but it healed's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where he maybe thinks too highly of himself and probably won't. It's a different kind of problem, but I think healed could actually be a problem in that respect. Whereas Jimmy was probably a very positive force during his time in Philadelphia for the most part. 
And uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not huge on the idea at this point. Well, may, maybe a new a new venue will create a new attitude, a new coach, uh, probably a future Hall of Fame coach with Doc Rivers. Maybe that change of scenery will bring about a different perspective on what it means to be a quality teammate or just a, a good NBA solid player in the locker room. Maybe he won't be a cancer. Maybe a change of scenery and a new coach, head coach. Okay. Maybe there's an amends between him and Yoger. I, I'll be honest. I think it's worth a risk because he is such a good shooter that he could really change the landscape of their offensive sets if he comes in here. I, I think he's worth a risk. And it's funny you brought up Jimmy Butler. He, you said what happened when he went to Miami, and they didn't have they didn't have anybody. I mean, they weren't even they weren't even predicted to finish in the top six or seven teams in the East. So maybe maybe Buddy would come here and, and do good. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think Jimmy's a different beast. Obviously, I, I think oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah. misunderstood. Yeah, definitely, but uh, yeah, I mean, is it worth the risk if it's Horford and a few picks, you know, second round picks or the twenty first pick or you know Tobias? Maybe yeah, of course. I I, I think he's a better fit, and financially, he he's on a better contract, even yeah. if it's not a great contract. And again, like, the Sixers need shooters. Yield is one of the best shooters on the planet. They're, it's hard to look past that. But it, it keeps it keeps getting worse for Al Horford. We're sending him to Detroit, and now we're sending him to Sacramento. Yeah. It's just, where else can we send him? Let's just send him to yeah. China, right? Let's just send yeah. him to play. You can play in China. China. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and like you mentioned, Doc Rivers is a pretty big step up from both Jaeger and Walton in terms of stature and cachet and reputation. Maybe he can break through to Buddy. You know, Buddy hasn't played next to a star like Joel and Ben. Maybe being, you know, the third option quantifiably and not really being able to think higher, you know, higher than that. Maybe, you know, maybe that helps him. Maybe that kind of helps put him in his place per se and helps him realize where he, you know, where he fits into things. Sure. It's definitely possible. And I think if it's a reasonable trade and you get off of one of Horford or Harris's contracts, then yeah, you do it. But uh, I definitely don't think it's something we should be counting on. And I, I do think it's notable that Philadelphia went out and got Jaeger despite, you know, the, the conflict there. So we're going to move on now and we're going to talk about Elton Brand and what his responsibilities will look like this offseason. So, Uriah, if you're Brand, you're heading into this offseason, you have the, obviously the same group of players that you had last year. What's your top priority? What are your first moves? How are you approaching things? All right. I've been waiting for this question all day. <laughs> I've been sitting on it. Here's what I would do if I was Elton Brand. And this is coming from a coach's perspective because I used to coach basketball. All right? I didn't just play okay. pickup ball. I coached middle school basketball. Okay, Not travel, not school team, but I, I coach rec league. Not that I'm comparing myself to Doc Rivers, but <laughs> what I would do, knowing that we have Ben and Joe as the top two players on the team who've been here the longest. We know that Tobias makes the most money. So if I was Doc Rivers, we're going to switch it up, folks. So it's not Elton Brand anymore. If you were Doc Rivers, that was my fault. If I was Doc Rivers, the first thing I would do is I would make Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons 
uncomfortable. Let me tell you why. For the first three, four, five years, however these guys have been in the league, they're top lottery draft picks. They were the best players in college when they were at Kansas and LSU. They come in, they get sneaker deals, they get Frosted Flakes deals, they get Mountain Dew deals, they get all these deals, they get all this money, all this instant fame. And they had a coach, love Brett Brown, but he couldn't crack the whip, not like Doc Rivers can. So if I'm Doc Rivers, I'm cracking the whip, and I'm making both of my star players as uncomfortable as I possibly can. Because if it doesn't happen right up front, if he starts off loose, he's been around long enough to know that you have to be tough on your stars. So that's my priority. I mean, the role players and, and regiment, that's important. Practice is important. X's and O's important. But it stops and starts with your stars. And the, the quicker you make them uncomfortable and you challenge them, the more likely they'll respond. That's my priority. What would you do? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I, for the most part, I, I think I agree. I think Ben and Joe obviously have very different personalities. They don't fit perfectly on the court, though I think they can fit and they can succeed together. I think it's fair to wonder you know, the degree to which they can succeed and if it's possible for them to win a championship as the top two options, I think that's a serious question that hasn't been answered yet. Like you said, Brett Brown didn't really hold them accountable the way they... And that's going to be Doc's job is, you know, kind of, you know, laying out their roles, laying laying out the groundwork and making sure people understand what their jobs are and make sure they fulfill those jobs, that they do what they're supposed to do. So, yeah, I, I think holding Ben and Joe accountable and making them uncomfortable is definitely one of the first things he should do. Um, you know, aside from that, I, yeah, he just stuff he really touched on in his introductory press comments, you know, up the pace, try to play and transition more when Ben is on the floor. Obviously, you're going to have to find new ways to use Al Horford, maybe put him in more <laughs> pick and rolls if he's still on the team. I, I think the pick and roll is something Doc is going to use, and mm -hmm. I think it's something the Sixers have been needing to use for a while. We can tie that back to Elton and putting players, you know, on the team that can, you know, run a pick and roll. But Tobias was extremely effective in the pick and roll when he was in L.A., and then you pretty much never saw one in Philadelphia. So hopefully he gets more opportunities, <laughs> in you know, in that situation, and and just kind of changing up the offense and trying to find new ways to create advantages with the team that was built to kind of leverage its size and power and downhill abilities. Uh, obviously, there was a pretty critical flaw in the front office's thinking, and the roster is really not constructed to win a championship right now, but things could probably flow better than they did last year. And if nothing else, Doc just needs to get creative and try to find new ways to unlock what is currently here, if that's what he ends up having to work with. Yeah, it's funny you went back to Al Horford. Uh, the Al, For Al Horford I'm is sorry, the star of the is he's the star of the yeah. show. It's, if he's still here, if he goes to Detroit, but I, I like Al Horford. I, I would give him another shot. But let me just give you a quick anecdote because and and I know this is completely different. We're talking about millionaire players, but basketball is basketball, man. You talk about the dynamic of a basketball team coach to players. So I coached, uh, I was coaching in a championship game with, with my players. And I'll change the names up, obviously. So I had a player, a star player named Derek. I'll call him Derek. 
and we were in the championship game. We had about four minutes left, and we probably had maybe a five-point lead, six, seven-point lead. And our best player just started chucking up threes early in the shot clock. And he's chucking up threes. I'm thinking, what the hell are you doing? This is the championship, right? So I call timeout, and I typically don't really get in my players, you know, like yelling. That's just not who I am. But I looked at my star player in the face. I said, if you want to throw this game away, keep shooting those threes. Keep shooting them. I, I put it on him. I challenged him in the biggest game in front of parents and everyone. And guess what, Chris? He responded. He started, he dribbled some, he was taking some time off the clock. He stopped chucking up threes. And I think if, if Glenn Rivers, and he has the cachet, I mean, he, he's getting paid. Would you, I think you guys wrote 10 million a year, 8 million, whatever. Put it on these stars. Make them respond to you. Show them who's in charge because if they don't respond to them, then we really know who's running the team. Ownership. So that, that's my anecdote, my coaching uh, story for the night. Yeah, and I think it was Brian Scalabrini who used to play under Doc who said, like, the first thing Doc does with the team is he tells everyone their roles in front of everyone else. So Joe's going to know his role. Ben's going to know his role. Tobias is going to know his role. Horford is going to know his role, you know, plain and simple, with everyone else understanding that as well. There's not going to be any room to hide, to fudge on it. It's not going to be a Brett situation where Alec Burks comes in midseason and he's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. <laughs> Love Brett to death. I've been a staunch supporter of Brett my, his entire tenure. But obviously players didn't respond to him the way they needed to. And that's why they brought in Doc is to get players to respond. We can debate all we want about Doc's tactical abilities and whether or not he's the coach strategically to get them past, you know, the Eric Spolstras and the Nick Nurses and the Brad Stevens of the world. But if he gets Joe and Ben to buy into their roles and their effective roles and he brings more out of Tobias and he gets more out of Josh Richardson and Shake Milton, then it might not matter because Philadelphia does have the talent to beat those teams, even if they aren't as well coached. So I, I think that's what the Sixers are banking on again doc is making eight million dollars they're clearly investing a lot in him to do that and i mean yeah i I, it'll be interesting to see how it works if joe and ben don't respond if you know it's the same situation as last year where joe was taking games off or possessions off and ben doesn't fully buy into whatever role doc puts him in then maybe we can start having discussions about training them etc etc i i'm not gonna go there because i don't think you need to uh, but no you know, no you can go there, go gonna there. An, it's gonna be an important season and i think yeah. the sixers a lot of the sixers future both short and long term is is really riding on what happens this upcoming yeah. season if things go south again you know we're probably looking at yeah. situations where joe and ben aren't gonna stick around as long as we would like them to you know it's it's funny chris we had Derek bodner on last week and he was great we, we've had some really great guests from summer on up to last week. And, and Bodner was giving us his perspective on particularly Joel Embiid. And the fact that from what he understands, Joel, he's not allergic to the gym. He'll go, he'll lift weights, he'll run, he'll practice his shots. But his diet, if he can just stay in shape and and not be so... You said it earlier, Chris, he kind of was sleeping walk last season. I think he was... 
in his own mind, he was trying to preserve himself for the playoffs because in his head, he's thinking that's the most important time of the year that my team will need me. So he didn't give his 110% because maybe his body can't take 82 games of banging down low and and everything that in, is part of the game. But yeah, I, I just really think that it, it all comes down to the stars. And if their stars can respond to the coach in a positive way, then we'll have a successful season. Yeah, I mean, with with Joe, it's like you said, you can't take 82 games of, of posting up every possession that's just not feasible he takes a lot of pounding with his play style and with his size and his physicality he's naturally going to invite contact and minor injuries and stuff like that so he's going to need to load manage he's probably going to need to take some nights off just quite literally like rest days another part of that is finding ways to get him easier looks on offense which brett never really did and part of that is roster construction the Sixers aren't really built to get joe easy looks Take J.J., for example. A lot of Joe's easiest looks from the past three or four years have come out of those two-man actions with J.J., where you have a shooter gunning around the handoff, and all the attention is on J.J., and that opens up Joe to, you know, roll easily to the basket and lay it in. You didn't really have that luxury last season when everyone's focused on him because they don't need to worry about the other four players on the court. So if you put better pieces around him, you find other ways to involve him, whether it's in the pick-and-roll or in those handoffs then things get easier and he doesn't have to exert as much energy on offense that can improve his defense and that can help him not have as many off games. So a lot of things factor into it, but doc doc's going to have a lot to figure out for sure. And speaking of JJ Redick, here we go, folks, we're going to switch topics. We've been talking a lot of current stuff. We've been looking to the future, a lot of what if scenarios, But what we want to do right now is let's go back into the past just a little bit. So recently I wrote an article about the best three-point shooters in franchise history. And in the article, I I gave five names. Uh, I'll say them, but we're going to go with Chris. And even though Chris, he's he's a little on the younger side, he's a maven of basketball knowledge. I know he knows these names, and I know he's seen these players shoot from downtown so here are the names, Chris, the top five three-point shooters in Sixers history, and I'm going to let you give your own ranking. So here we go. We have Hersey Hawkins, who played in the 90s, 80s and 90s. We have Kyle Korver, who played in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. Rocco, obviously, processed Sixers. We all know Rocco very well. Dana Barros in the early 90s. Sniper, really great, great player. Really short, but he could really toss up some some shots. And, of course, J.J. Redick. So in your opinion, my friend, who would you? how would you rank those players? If you can't do all five, give me your top three. Yeah, I, I think your, your rankings are pretty spot on. I think I'm fine with, you know, Rocco, Hawkins, and Barrows from, from five to three. I think it's probably a, a Reddick versus Corver situation. I think that's where the discussion is. Um, I mean, I, I can't, maybe it's just recency bias, but I, I, I sort <laughs> of lean JJ just in terms of like, if we're like judging peak here, like peak production mm-hmm. as a shooter, it's probably JJ. Like mm-hmm. Corver is obviously one of the greatest marksmen of all time. He's on the same plane as JJ for sure. But I, th- I think J.J. might just have that slight edge in terms of, you know, 
dynamism, you know, like just all sorts of angles, mm-hmm. dif- you know, difficulty of, sh- you know, shot attempts. I probably lean Redick. Uh, obviously, I've watched more of Redick in actual live gameplay than I have of Corver in terms of their Philadelphia career. So maybe I'm just too young to properly evaluate this, but I, I think I would probably put JJ number one. Okay. When I wrote the article, I, I did it, I did the research. I looked at the volume of shots, not not for their whole career, just as Sixers players, because it's all about the franchise history player, right? And I was shocked, Chris, that Covington was number two. It just blew my I just my jaw dropped. I saw Iverson as number one in terms of the most, I think the most threes made. And Rocco was right there. And I was I was like, damn, okay. He was here for a long time and he just had the green light. To your point about Redick, I mean, that guy's technique was fluid. That thing was it was just smooth like silk. And uh I think my wife had a had a crush on JJ, by the way. We'd be watching them and <laughs> we'd be watching the Sixers and she would be on her phone and all of a sudden when they're on offense, when JJ would pull up, she would just be on the edge of the seat. But anyway. A little jealous there. So I, I think Redick, his his shooting form is just probably the best out of all five. Corver was he had this high quick high release. And because he's tall, he's about six seven, six eight. And I just remember he had this comparison to uh Ashton Kutcher. He had the hair like Kutcher. But Corver was he was deadly man. And and he had a, a very prolific career playing for multiple teams. Covington's Covington. Hawkins, I'll, I'll give you a little background on Hersey. This is back when I was a kid, Chris. I used to collect basketball cards. I had all the Sixers. I had Barkley and Rick Mahorn and Derek Smith. And I got the Hersey Hawkins rookie card, and I was just so excited. And his first season, he averaged nice 15 points a game. But after that year, he just emerged as this excellent threat from multiple parts of the floor and when Barkley would post up down low you know he could post up on Carl Malone he could post up on Pippen didn't matter he knew that the hawk was right there waiting in the wing for a spot up jumper and he would knock him down at a good pace um Barrows was just uh he came out of nowhere (laughs) he had his one and only all-star year with the Sixers and he think he averaged 20 points and seven and a half assists he was a really, really great scorer. My question to you is, and I think I know your answer, but I'm not going to assume. Out of all five players, you said that Redick is your is the best. However, who would you trust to take the game winner? As far as my knowledge, Redick never hit a game winner for the Sixers. So, based on your knowledge, who would you take with the last shot in the game? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking like someone you just like hand the ball to and let him go ISO, it's Probably Hawkins, right? I, I no, 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 no. No, just it could be they draw up a play and then maybe the okay. play breaks down. I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I I am on the younger side of things, so I may not have the most you know complete picture of all these players in terms of their clutch production. But yeah, I mean, I think Hawkins was obviously, you know, that dude, super talented mm-hmm. as a scorer, like you said. And Corver, obviously, you know, Corver or JJ running around the screen, I'm I'm comfortable with that. You know, mm-hmm. JJ missed some big shots when he was in Philly. I get that. But, you know, 
you you live with a JJ three to end the game. I think I don't think that's a yeah. bad situation. And just to go back to Corbett, I, I might not have been like watching him when he was in Philly. I was a bit young for that, but I'm from Georgia. I, I was there for the Corbett hype in Atlanta when he was an All Star. Like I, I I promise that I appreciate you know Kyle Corver. I'm right there with you. He's That's right. A, a he was a hawk. Player. Yeah, he was a hawk. I forgot. I very yeah. much enjoy Kyle Corver. And shout out to Al Horford too. We've been kind of dragging <laughs> for a few weeks. We can't I forget to bring Horford up. Every topic, Horford is right we there. We have to. Yes, we have to. It's obligatory. But hey, Al, I've I've loved Al. I was super excited when the Sixers signed him last year because they're like, hey, that's a player who I enjoy watching. And who I think is really good. And obviously, it hasn't worked out. And obviously, he's kind of <laughs> the enemy of Philadelphia at this point. And I feel very bad for him. And I definitely think the Sixers should try to get rid of him at every reasonable cost. But oh. that's it. Corver, love the dude. Great, right. great shooter. So you got Corver. You got Corver. All right. I'll I say Corver. All right. Sure. So here's who I'm going with. With the game on the line, with the game winner, all my old head Sixers fans, you know where I'm going with this. I love Hersey, Roku. but Dana, no. <laughs> oh, you sh- all right, we. All right, Chris knows me very well. He knows I'm not the biggest fan of Covington. But anyway, Dana Barrows. And now, Chris, I was looking for this play on YouTube for about a half an hour. I couldn't find it. There's a play where there's less than a second on the shot clock in the fourth quarter game on the line and there's an inbounds pass and it, I can't even describe it. It was so phenomenal. Dana Barrows caught an inbounds pass, which I think it went almost half court. He, he leaped, he leapt from the three point line, caught it in midair, Chris and shot mm-hmm. a three and it went in and they won the game. So if I have to pick a player that has clutch veins with, Ice running, flowing through his veins. I'm going with Dana Barrows. Mm-hmm. Boston College, my man. Hey, I mean, I just found a video on YouTube titled All Three of Robert Covington's Game Time Slash Winning Buckets. Oh, so great. He's Thanks done it. Thanks for bringing that up. Thanks for bringing that up. It has happened. <laughs> yeah, he had the one we, against Minnesota. It was like a, a, mm-hmm. a, it was a lob to the rim. Portland. It was a layup. Portland, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's happened. It, we can't count. Rocco has hit some big shots. Rocco, for all the streakiness, he came up with some pretty big buckets. I, I, I don't think we should entirely discount Rocco. He's Look, probably man. last on this list in terms of who we want taking a shot at the end of the game. But get him a good look, and it, it's not the worst situation. Uh yeah, I'd rather have Jimmy Butler. But anyway, so let, let's yeah. move on. Let's round things out. We've been having some fun here. And let's get some of our social media listeners a little bit of a shout out. And we're going to go right to our social media question of the week. We do it every week. It was a little late. We put it out on Sunday instead of Saturday. And in the graphic, we have two NBA players, one from Brooklyn, one from Indiana. We talked about one earlier. And the question was, who is a better fit for the Sixers right now? And the options are Spencer Dinwiddie from Brooklyn and Victor Oladipo from the Pacers. And if I pull up Twitter, Chris, uh, we had quite a few responses. 
I had to take a break from Facebook, man. All the political stuff dropped me nuts. So I'm not on Facebook for a while. But I'll go to our I will go to our our follower on the Sixer Sense Twitter. His name is Chuck D. Chuck at Chuck Rob67. Is this the real Chuck D from Public Enemy? I don't know. No, it's not him. All right, Chuck D, check it out, man. We're shouting you out. So according to Chuck D, he said Dinwiddie can run the point. Create for others, knock down threes, and he's six feet five inches. He would be a great fit. He got the most likes out of everybody. So, what do you think, Chris? Do you think Dinwiddie would be a better fit, or do you think Oladipo would fit? Yeah, I, I mean, it depends on how you define fit, I guess. Who do I think benefits Philadelphia the most? It's probably, you know, a healthy Victor Oladipo, but. Who's the best on-court fit? Like, schematically, who makes the most sense? It's probably Dinwiddie. He's probably more comfortable taking a bunch of threes, even if he doesn't quite make them at the same rate the people does. He's, you know, he's he's a gunner. He's going to take those shots. And like Chuck said, he's a natural point guard. He's probably more comfortable running those pick-and-rolls. In Doc Rivers' system, again, Doc's offenses have always been centered around pretty strong point guard play. And Dinwiddie, you know, coming out of a bunch of pick and rolls with Joe and Ben and Tobias, you know, as his co-partners is probably, you know, probably a pretty successful offense. So, yeah, I, I think you could go both ways. I understand why everyone went with Dinwiddie. But, you know, on the other side of the token, I think Oladipo is the better player. You know, two-time all-star, all-defense player. Yeah, at some point, you just have to take talent and that's not fit necessarily, but it's not like Oladipo doesn't fit. Again, dribble and shoot on the perimeter. You're probably good. So uh, I'll I'll voice my support for Oladipo here. And I will go opposite because although I think Oladipo is a better all-around player, he's a, I mean, he's just a phenomenal player. I love his game. I think what this team needs is – a guy who can come in off the bench, give us some quality scoring. And and I'll be honest, Chris, I do remember on Facebook, a lot of people on Facebook thought Dinwiddie was the man, that he's the better fit. And I, I t- I'm going to lean their way. And I just think about his perimeter game. I think about you have a team where several players need their touches. You need, you know, Joe needs his touches. And you need Tobias. He needs his touches. Oladipo comes in. Now you got three players trying to spread all those possessions out. Dinwiddie can score in a in a more efficient manner, and he doesn't necessarily need to touch the ball every single play, especially if he's coming off the bench. Oladipo's a starter, and then that kind of changes the, the dynamic of what Rivers might have to do. So I, I'm sorry, I'm going to be the contrarian, Chris. I'm going to go with Dinwiddie. I, I will just point this out. 2018-19, which is Oladipo's last all-star season he didn't he only played 36 games he was out after the break essentially but he averaged 5.2 assists per game and and he is a natural shooting guard so he's comfortable without the ball Dinwiddie averages fewer assists per game he only shot 31.2 percent from deep last season he shot 28.1 percent the season before so he's not the same as Oladipo in terms of efficiency from deep nor is he dropping as many assists per game. So from that perspective, I, I do think Oladipo 
could you could argue at least that Oladipo might be more accommodating in that role. All right, Chuck D. Sorry, Chris just shot down your whole theory. I'm I'm wrong. And Chris, I concede. <laughs> but you threw the assists out there. I'm like, wow, okay, I didn't know that. So, all right, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I, I do like Dinwiddie's. He has a smooth jumper. But anyway, I think that covers everything we got tonight, man. Yeah, I think we're done. I think that, uh, I think this is a good good episode. Some fun conversation. All right. So, to all our listeners, again, thank you so much for tuning in this week to talk Sixers. A lot going on in the world. We just want to encourage you here at the Sixers Sounds to get out and vote, make your voice heard, hit up those early voting lines, do what you need to do to to you know make your impact on this election, and. You know, we'll be back next week to talk more Sixers basketball, and we'll, we'll see you then. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.